9 of the USL Aces podcast. This is your host, Tom Sweezy, and it's been a little bit since recording a USL podcast. It's been a bit since I've recorded any podcast, to be completely honest. Uh, you know, this whole quarantine thing is getting a little crazy. But I am happy to have a very special guest with me for episode 9. Um, I'm going to call him the voice of USL. I feel like other people have called him that. But uh, Mike Watts, Mike, thanks for coming on. Glad to be here, man. Glad you're getting back on the podcasting game. Us New Yorkers need to stick together. Keep busy. So that's honestly like a pretty good transition into my first question. Do you consider yourself a New Yorker? Because I know you were you're from Ohio, right? And you've been living in New York for the past few years. And you're you like you're fully integrated with like so many New York sports and everything like that. Like, are you a New Yorker in your head? You know, it, at first I thought it'd be like if I lived half my life in New York, I would officially be a New Yorker. But in my mind, I was born in 93, moved here in 2011, and then here we are in 2020. I'm engaged to a girl from from Long Island, went to school at Fordham in New York City. Like at this point, I, I feel like I'm I'm like at least halfway there, if not further to saying I'm a New Yorker now, like I, I've lived in the city now for close to a decade. I feel like You're, I have a, a kind of a right. A hundred percent. I think you have more of a right to call yourself a New Yorker than me. I can, I mean, like to me, I'm a Long Islander, like that, that, and I, right. different from New Yorker, which is like, you don't get that until you start living in this area and understand it. Like does your wife or fiance, sorry, consider herself a New Yorker? She's a Long Islander. I'm a New Yorker. And eventually when I move out there, I will also be a Long Islander. But for now, <laughs> I remain a New Yorker. All right. Well, major respect. Um, so, I mean, like sports that you follow, I know you might have to be like a little neutral, but like, do you have favorite sports teams? Like growing up in Ohio, are you like a Bengals fan, um, like a, a Reds fan, like something like stuff like that? Yeah, so I grew up in Cleveland, and now that I work for the Bengals, the first headline that popped up when I got the job there was 25-year-old Browns fan calling Bengals preseason games. And you're like, oh, okay, uh, that's how I've been painted. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I grew up in Cleveland, so you know the Indians, the Browns, the Cavs. Got you. Um, the occasional Lake Erie Monsters game. I, I guess I became a Penguins fan by proxy because it was the closest city to us that was playing hockey before the blue jackets existed yeah. so yeah like that that's sort of where it started like my allegiance has shifted to the Bengals as i've worked for them the last few years and i've, I've gotten to know everyone in the organization like you gain an allegiance to the people that that you've really come to respect and know and then now that i've moved to new york like I live 10 minutes, you know, on the seven train to City Field. So a lot of Mets games. I've yes. worked for NYCFC and Yes Network. So I follow them really closely. Before that, I followed the Red Bulls because I worked a lot of games out there. I follow the Giants. Um, I, I definitely follow the Rangers more. So like gradually I'm shifting, I think. It, it's like a tectonic shift. Right, well, we can be good friends. You named a few teams in there that, that I'm okay with. That's <laughs> NYCFC, all of that. So the Giants are my only iffy, iffy part that you said. But I mean, I Jets fans, it. man. Oh. It is what it is. <laughs> but I mean, like, outside of, like, that stuff, right? Like, outside of the Bengals, which reading that online about you, like, that's so cool that you were the youngest person to ever call a game, um, an NFL preseason game at 25 years old. Yeah, the youngest that year, and still there's no one under 30. I think Adam Amin is the next closest. And, like, it, it, it's it's awe-inspiring that they took a gamble on me at that stage of my career, more so than anything I did, that they actually put their own neck on the line for a young guy who I, clearly I, I think I have some some experience in, in this and I've, I've worked really hard at it, but th there's really no guarantee in where my career is, is going to end up. And for them to really buy into me was shocking at the time. And I'm still really um, grateful to that organization because I, I don't know how many organizations at, at that level would even consider me. I mean, like, I completely agree with you there. And like, I think that's a complete accomplishment that you can say at, you know, 22, you called your first soccer game and at 25, the Bengals gave you that, 
that shout. Like, you're only two years older than me, which blows my mind. Because, I mean, I know, I think someone said this on the USL show before, but you, like, your voice sounds like you're, like, so much older than you actually are. But I'm 24, turning 25 this year, so I'm guessing you're 27-ish, 26, 27. So, like, that's just absolutely insane, like, actually hearing your voice in a conversation. But right now, like... Are you still like a freelancer, a contract worker, or are you like have a contract with ESPN and a contract with USL and like CONCACAF and all of that? Yeah, so it, it, it's weird how this business works because you're you're sort of at a point in your career where you want to work Champions League for CONCACAF, you want to work Game of the Week for USL, you want to call Thursday Night Soccer for the SEC Network, and you want to do the Bengals. So, you know, and I want to do PA for MSG. And so it really, for me right now, I've signed a contract with ESPN before. I've signed a contract with USL before. Um, You know, it's it's like I've had contracts, but it's not something where at least at, at this point, it's been a blessing. I've sort of been able to largely cobble together the schedule that I think most moves me in the direction I want to go career-wise. And that means calling international soccer and MLS and ESPN and the Bengals and, you know, whatever else comes my way um, to, to try to get forward in my career. It's, 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 it's freelance, but it's a little more constricted than that. Got you. Okay. No, I mean, that's interesting to know. Cause I mean, like I don't follow like, you know, announcers and commentators that much. I think like the person who I'm, I most closely follow, who isn't really one, but like has done games before, is Pat McAfee. Um, <laughs> yeah. And I mean, like he's just hysterical in his own right, but like he's and he's not truly like a commentator and announcer. Like I feel like you know, like what you do is like true to the to the quote unquote sport, but. I mean, like, I really enjoy your games, your USL games. Like, when you're on the call, it makes the game 100% better, at least in my head. And, I mean, now I feel like to a lot of people, you're 100%, like, connected to the USL. Like, when people think USL or, like, a USL game on ESPN+, Plus, like, your voice definitely is the one that kind of circles around that. How does that feel to kind of be, like, connected? I mean, at least in my head, like, you're connected Mm -hmm. to a league, like, 100% truthfully that's what i've wanted in in my career is to be associated at the national level with any any league and i mean the usl brought me in you know i graduated from college early in in december of 2014 and the first usl final i called was october 2015 so i mean i had done one game for NYCFC and, and Yes Network is a sideline reporter, and I had done some some random stuff over that summer. But I mean, that was my first real shot, and to still be here, you know, hopefully we'll have a sixth USL Championship final to celebrate in 2020 that I've been around for. I mean, like you know, if you consider the new era of this league, and obviously the USL brand has existed long before that modern era but this is sort of the the era of this group taking this league forward i've been here for more than half of it and that's pretty wild um so i first off like that that's a huge compliment and i appreciate it and and it's an honor to me to be able to be the voice of what i think have been the iconic moments in in this league's history some by happenstance and, and others just by being able to call good finals and great playoff games and, and whatever it is, great highlights. But I mean, again, like I was 22 and I called, you know, my first pro game was a final, <laughs> you know, that was insane to me. Um, and it still is. So, I mean, yeah, it's, it, it's, it, it's inspiring to me as an announcer. Cause usually it, it doesn't work that way. It's usually very much the reverse. So to, to get them to, to give me that, that honor, that responsibility that early in my career meant one, I had to step up to it as best I could at the time and and can now. And and two, like you want to continue to build on that and and push the league along the same way I pushed myself along. Now, when I was doing, obviously doing my research on you and what I've known about you, 
you said it. Your first game was 22 years old, calling USL final Rochester Rhinos versus Los Dos, correct? Yep, that was it. Was that a tougher game to call? Like, what? So, sorry, what's a tougher game to call? That final specifically? Like, thrown into your first game like that? Or, like, a super boring midweek 0 0 game where it's like, you know, (laughs) you can appreciate the sport. Like, I appreciate the sport of soccer, but then at the same exact time, it's like, damn, that's a boring game. I mean, naturally, the final is is easier to call in that, you know, there's all this build up to it and you're almost just serving it because all the storylines around it have been plotted. The game lays out the way it's going to lay out. And of course, that was the best final in, in my five years covering the league with the stoppage time, game time goal and the game winner and, and extra time. So naturally, you know, that lent itself. But yeah, I mean, anytime you play 34 games over seven months, there's just going to be some that, that don't come out very well. It, yeah. It's just the natural progression of any sport, any league. And yeah, sometimes those are tough, and, and it asks you to do something different as an announcer to try and, and provide life or you know breath into that game and, and give people a reason to watch, and that's that research that I do for a final has to carry over to what I do game to game or it's all for naught because I'm judged equally on that zero zero midweek fixture as I am the final in, in my opinion. And I think anyone who's watching for the first time takes the same approach where they may not hear me again. They may have not heard me before. And if I don't give you a reason to watch that game or keep you engaged, I didn't really do my job. Is there like a specific piece of research that you found? Like when you were like, obviously, you know, doing your job before the game and everything like that, that you read it and you were like, this needs to go on air whenever I'm calling this game. Like this is like so interesting or so unique that I have to get this in somehow. Yeah, to an extent. And and the funny thing is, is you, you come in with a spotting chart that's got, you know, where everyone went to school and, you know, you hope that you have interesting tidbits about a guy. I mean, I think what Sebastian Velasquez overcame mm-hmm. um, in, in his battle with alcoholism was really well done by Vice. And that stuck with me since I read it before I even covered this league when I was you know, around NYCFC's inaugural season when he came from Real Salt Lake. So, like, I'm not forcing it in there. I'm not trying to force him to sort of relive the 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 good and the bad of his career every time I call a game. But, you know, that that's probably come up a few times. I did a preseason game last year, and, you know, Quentin Flowers was one of the best players in college football as a quarterback at, I, I guess it would be USF. Yes. And I'm probably get yeah, did I get that right? Southern Florida, um, I remember him. Yeah, and a great quarterback. And if you look into his backstory, you know, he talked about his his grade school coach, Antonio Brown, not that Antonio Brown <laughs> <laughs> that, um, you know, really helped him see a way out. And the, the loss of multiple family members, oftentimes violently uh, or, or suddenly, and you you listen to him tell that story and that stuff you gain in the locker room and by talking to a guy where, you know, week four last year, it was like, I want people to know this story. Mm. And I, I it it I I felt as long as the moment gave me enough width to get there and, and I, I got him on a, a good drive with a carry that went, you know, 20 seconds left on the third quarter clock. It gives you enough time to get that story because they're not going to run another snap that's where I might force the issue. But for the most part, you try and just gather all you can and say, okay, what's the game going to present to me? Because otherwise you start to get lost in the middle of a game and a goal happens and you're busy waxing poetic about something (laughs) way off topic. You're trying to paint the picture and people are like, there's like an elephant in the other side of the room and you're trying to paint the picture. It's like, focus on the main thing when you're over here doing your thing. I get that. That's, that's okay. I mean, like there's an art to it that you got to master. And I mean, I think you do a very good job of that a hundred percent. But kind of, do you like look up to someone in this industry that you really like, you feel like they're a master of it and like you want to, you aspire to be there one day. Maybe like, I don't know if you're a fan of him or not or whatever, but like a Joe Buck type figure. 
Yeah, I mean, a, a lot of them. And I came out of Fordham, so Mike Breen is the voice of the NBA, and he has been otherworldly nice to me over the last six, seven years since I met him. And, um, you know, Ryan Rucco is a guy who followed a similar career path timing-wise to what I've experienced, and he's a Fordham guy. And Spiro Ditas, same deal now at CBS. So, like, there's people who have walked the same road as me where – I look up to them because I, I think they're great at what they do, but also I can see a little bit of myself in them. You know, it, it's funny because I, I look at an amalgamation of things. I, I love underratedly. I think Joe Buck lays out better than anybody. I think Al Michaels punctuates better than anybody. I think Doc Emmerich does as good a job of 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 getting all of that action. In, into one breath in, in a way that a lot of people can't. And he, he notices little details. And Bob Costas is a wordsmith off the cuff. And I envy that, that he's able to do that. And, you know, Jim Nance has an empathetic approach. And so, like, I'm grabbing from as many people as I can things that I think they're great at. I think Ian Dark is is oftentimes a poet. I think he's great. Um you know, there's a bunch of guys where I'm just trying to grab all I can while staying true to myself and saying, okay, these are traits that I want to develop in myself in their likeness. Um, the same way that, you know, Mike Breen probably looked at Marty Glickman, you know, the longtime voice of the Knicks and the Jets and, you know, NBC and a guy who had been around the block so many times and, you know, Vin Scully looked at Red Barber, and so we're all just trying to grab things we think other people do really well, and then sharpen that in ourselves. I think is is how all announcers view it. The same way, I think any player in the league can watch Lionel Messi and say, "I'm not him. I'm never <laughs> going to be him." But like these little little nuances of his game, I'd love to sharpen that a little bit in his image. Hey, and not everyone has to be a messy. Look, no, I, and I'm not. <laughs> hey, you don't know that. You don't know that. You got. I like. I'm. I'm personally a person that just believes in like throwing that out there and throwing the optimism out there, and obviously the hard work that comes behind it. But I mean, look, I don't feel like there's a lot of people that can say at your age you've also done what you've done. So that's also something you got to commend yourself on a hundred percent. I want to finish up like the commentating side of this before we get more specifically into USL. And I'm going to ask a question that I feel like you've answered before. And I hate being boring with like, the question, but do you have like a favorite call? It doesn't even have to be like the biggest game you've called, but like, do you have one that just immediately sticks out to you in your mind? Um, it, it's interesting because a lot of people remember calls that I personally don't like. Um, <laughs> the the Drogba what's in the water uh, yes. call from a couple years ago ends up getting printed on a Dasani bottle. And I'm like, I really didn't like that call, guys. <laughs> uh, but it, it's going around the world and I'm seeing the comments and it's like, why is a WWE announcer doing Didier Drogba's games now? Um, <laughs> you know? <laughs> Because I'm I'm just losing my mind, and so you know the the bike kick by Miguel Gonzalez. Like if I could do yeah. that over again, I would do it in a heartbeat. And that was, you know, the number one play on Sports Center. Um, you know, I I thought the call of the Luke Spencer game winner in, I guess it'd be 2018's final, is one that I thought I really. Uh, hit the way I wanted. You know, there was an SEC championship goal call from this past year that I, I really thought I I appropriately hit. I mean, I go back and rewatch things, and I'll probably feel a different way the next day than I feel today. But you know, you, you just try and go, okay, what did I like? What didn't I like? And move on. But it, it's it, at this point, like, it's hard to pick one, and that's not trying to say I'm good at this it's just it, it's a moving target for me do you cringe when you hear your own voice because whenever i listen back to a podcast episode i can't stand my own voice like is that like a thing that's like a no <laughs> i <laughs> so i'm clearly out of practice i haven't done a game in a month and a half because I, I almost just dropped a, a censored 
word right into your podcast. Oh, but, say uh, whatever the fuck you want to say. I don't care. Yeah, right. Uh, definitely. Um, it's I, I, I told people and I still occasionally tell people like I turn the lights off, go into the corner and like turn the game on. I, I don't I don't enjoy it. Um, but I think it's critical to want to get better. And if you want to be a better podcaster, then sit there with an open mind and an open ear and say, would I listen to this? If I'm a broadcaster, I I should sit there and and listen to my tape and say, as a fan, am I engaged in this? And as a player, you should watch your own tape and say, is that the best I can play? Why did I do that? So yeah, I cringe a lot. I'll probably <laughs> cringe when I when I see this come out. <laughs> I mean, like, because I, I agree with your point there. Like, when you're podcasting and you're, like, even just, like, our conversation now, like, is that something that, like, I can picture someone plugging in their headphones and saying, this is an enjoyable conversation? I really hope. And I, in the middle of our conversation now, I'm thinking, yes, it is. Someone's throwing their headset down, like, stop it. This sucks. <laughs> I don't care. This is terrible. I'm done. <laughs> but, like, it, it's, you're 100% right about that. And, I mean, for me personally, what, when I'm covering, like, when I'm doing a podcast about Major League Soccer, USL, whatever it may be, I think the one thing that really lacks in, you know, American soccer is that the media doesn't do a great job of seeing the personality of, you know, some of these athletes that are out there, some of these soccer players that are out there. And there's really good personalities on a lot of these players, right? And you've been around a lot of them. Have you met, like, uh, a player, whether it's in Major League Soccer, USL, whatever it may be, that you've sat down and you're like, why isn't this guy like on every single USL or every single MLS video like ever? Yeah. I, I think that happens a decent amount. And it, that's something that even going back to the beginning of MLS, cause the guy who, who produced the first close to a dozen, I don't know the exact number, but Michael Cohen was producing from the very beginning of of Major League Soccer and the Olympics and World Cups, and he's been around for so long. He is such a proponent of the idea of star building because everyone's watching the last dance right now about Michael Jordan, and rightfully so. He was the superstar globally of, of a game, of a sport, of sports. And I just don't know that anyone's in any hurry right now to go watch a documentary, except for us who who care about MLS, mm. about one of the great stars of MLS past. And that's not a shot at the league or the people who have produced it. But it, 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 I think everyone who's in TV and soccer right now is trying to find the best way to bring soccer into the American consciousness for longer than 90 minutes at a time. And you're seeing personalities like Alexi Lawless was this eccentric when he was playing. He was, he, I, I saw a video a couple of weeks ago of him playing electric guitar national anthem at a Riverhounds game back in the early two thousands. And like, <laughs> that was him the whole time. He, he was always like that. Eric Winalda is one of the most brash and I think intelligent people in in sports in this country so how does he how does alexi how does taylor you know twelman how do they move into the greater sports consciousness not only now that they have a a dominant area of the media sphere that listens but also when they're playing because taylor's a an outstanding golfer and he comes from a tremendous athletic family like he could have you know it it, it he could have had a, a bigger star even when he was playing and he scored 101 goals. And so that's sort of the thing is we want the now Taylor Twelmans, the, you know, Joseph Martinez, Brad, Bradley Wright Phillips is hilarious. I, is. I've been in the locker room with him. He is hilarious. Him and Lloyd Sam could have together had a, a comedy show from the <laughs> limited scope I saw in the, in the dressing room covering the Red Bulls in the mid 2000s. So, like, how do you make those guys shine beyond just how well they play on the field where you, you have a growing audience, but it's still not the audience of a Premier League game uh, or, you know, clearly a, an, an NBA game or an NFL game? I think that's 
the most important part of growing this game is being able to more effectively star build as we go forward. And I like that you brought up the uh, the Last Dance documentary because I and tell me if you think I'm wrong here, but I really feel like you know basketball was huge in the '90s, right? Like basketball arguably was the biggest sport of the '90s, mainly due to Michael Jordan. Um, back when Major League Soccer or you know soccer in America was kind of even five years ago, no one really gave a shit, right? So I feel like maybe promoting the league stars now and then in 10 years from now, you have a documentary that people would actually care about because this is no offense to Alexi Lalas and Eric Ronaldo and anyone like that. But I just feel like the average soccer fan today in America doesn't remember slash doesn't really care about Alexi Lalas or what he did back in the day. That's not saying it's my opinion. I'm just saying, like, I feel like people would care in 10 years to see a hysterical video or a hysterical documentary kind of seeing the ins and outs of, let's just say, the Seattle Sounders run in Major League Soccer right now or Lou City's run that they've had in USL and kind of the ins and outs and some inside details of that. I feel like that would be something that, like, 10 years from now that works. It's just there's no really history behind it that make people today care if that makes sense of what I'm saying. Uh, Yeah. I just think that history has to be built. And so the guys like Alexi and Eric and Taylor, even though he came later, landing came later, Dempsey came later. If this leads league succeeds MLS in the way that they all hope and dream that it will. And I think the pockets are deep enough and the interest strong enough that that can happen. They will be remembered as the guys who made it happen when nobody thought it could. Yes. So it's, it, it it's just that the spotlight wasn't as strong. The TV presence wasn't as, as national or even global. I mean, how many more games are on ABC and Fox this year than any before? You know, USL, we have more games on Deportes and ESPN Linear Networks than any point in our history. In 2015, our final was airing on ESPN3, and that was the beginning of our relationship with ESPN. So, you know, there wasn't a significant national spotlight consistently around USL or MLS in, in the early days outside of you know, that one national window and covering your local team. And so the same way I think a lot of Major League Baseball stars probably got forgotten about in the 70s and 80s, we might forget about players in the 90s. But I I think any adequate history of soccer in this country has to look at the people who qualified for that World Cup Mm -hmm. and then helped start MLS and were around in the founding years, the Royal Lassiter's, I would watch it. I personally would watch a, a documentary about Royal Lassiter. I just don't know that the average soccer fan would. And percent will watch a documentary of Lassiter and Valderrama just messing yeah, around. Yeah, right. Like, <laughs> I want to watch that. Um, so I, I think, you know, it just comes with time. And naturally, as you compete against other major league sports, you want to get there faster and i think you know the tipping point came in the mid 2000s i think we're over that tipping point and now we're starting to pick up serious pace for not just that league but but this game nationwide and i I don't know that's going to show an exact television numbers tomorrow or next year or the year after that not tomorrow obviously but (laughs) i think it's coming I hope it's coming. I mean, I, I've dedicated, you know, four years of my life to, to you know, covering soccer in this country. I hope it's coming. We all do. No, 100%. Like, I was going to say, I'm, I'm with you on that train. And I do personally believe that it is coming as Major League Soccer's grown. Um, at the same exact time, you know, I think USL has grown. Like, the fact that USL in the past five years has grown to what it has, and then them 
you know, starting USL League One. And, you know, we're having potential conversations a few years down the line of promotion relegation between the two leagues. And I think USL is doing their own part in in growing the game. And they're having way more of a connection between the, the clubs and the fans especially. Absolutely. And the thing is, is El Paso deserved a team. Albuquerque, New Mexico deserved a team. Phoenix, Queensboro. Yes. Uh, you know, they've talked about, you know, East Bay and Chicago. And, you know, there's a lot of expansion talk. And I know it can be repetitive because it happens a lot that maybe we don't realize what we're seeing here. But, you know, this league 10 years ago is literally nondescript compared to the league that exists now. And there were so many markets, Louisville, um, you know, I, I, Pittsburgh, Nashville. Yeah. Just like cycle through it, man. And uh, San Antonio, I'm going to leave out like half the teams in the league <laughs> and that's no offense, but like genuinely they needed pro soccer in their city to really develop roots for this game. And in 20 years, we're going to look back at people who were going to these games from ages 15 to 35, bringing their kids to the next set of, of, of people, bringing their kids to, you know, these games or 15 year olds becoming 35 year olds who, you know, are, are themselves rabid fans who probably wouldn't have been if San Antonio FC or Louisville City or Nashville hadn't existed in USL first. I, I think I see the building blocks. I hope I'm right. I think I'm right. I buy into that vision, and I, I think that's where we're getting. I personally agree with you. I think that USL does things different, but they do it different in like that right way that setting themselves up to be that prominent second division and a very successful second division in its own right. Like something that, you know, could kind of equal and i'm not saying equal in talent but equal as in relevance of the english championship is in england to um you know to the premier league where usl could be that equal in relevance of a second division to major league soccer as the first division and however the structure of us soccer is going to look in 10 20 years we don't know i'm not even going to try to predict it but we'll see at that point um but usl like to me I think I got a late um, jump in it just because there's no local team, right? Like Queensboro coming in next year is going to be my local USL team. I'm so excited. Um, I've already, you know, had some contact with the people over at Queensboro and, you know, it, very wo- welcoming, very open. And I love that. I absolutely love that. And I mean, having David V as an owner, I'm an NYC. <laughs> right. Jump right behind that as well, too. But. I think that teams are getting better at also constructing rosters. And this offseason, we saw a lot of teams get much better, at least in my opinion. Like in the Eastern Conference, obviously, like somehow Louisville just keeps doing it. They lose Paco Craig, who's been a guy who's been there, been a staple on that back line for the past few years and all their success they've had making it to USL Cups. They just go out and replace him with Jimmy Oxford, who's a fantastic player in his own. They get Cam Lancaster back on loan. Corbin Bone joins in in the midfield from FC Cincinnati. Like, Lou City, I think Indy 11 did a great job this offseason. Tampa Bay did a fantastic job in the East. Who in the Eastern Conference, like, Let's pray to every god there is that we get to see some more games this season. But who in the Eastern Conference really impressed you in the offseason? And then obviously through, you know, the few games we got to see. Yeah, I, I agree with you across the board. I think Indy didn't have to do a lot because they did so much last year to reconstruct the roster. And I was really interested to see the direction Martin Rennie took it because tactically they had made a major midseason adjustment and it was going to carry into this year. And, uh, you know, I thought that really spurred them on, you know, Pittsburgh never has, you know, the sexiest roster. And yet Bob Lilly coaches them to a point where they're not going to give up a lot of goals and they're going to create enough and they're, they're going to get where they need to go. Louisville is incredible. Yeah. I mean, Louisville's incredible in that, you know, yeah. Okay. Paco Craig left, you know, and, and you're absolutely right. They brought in Jimmy Ockford, but you know, like I, I feel like OKC energy, the mistake they made was they largely kept the same group that finished 
top three in the West, and it gradually sort of fell behind the rest of the league. And for Louisville, there is such a expectation of excellence in that group that's uncoachable. Like, either you have it or you don't. Paolo Del Piccolo, uh, Speedy Williams, uh, Cam, Luke, uh, you know, Niall McCabe, Oscar Jimenez. Like, there's certain guys there have been there for several years, and at no point did you feel like they fell behind the the talent in the league and that's a huge testament to their ability to develop first team talent and also add the right pieces around them to be able to keep it going the right way because like Magnus Rasmussen disappeared for for a year to go back home and had hip surgery and there was you know yeah he's back but you know he he, he was a question mark too I mean all these guys have improved um I thought Tampa Bay did a great job. I thought North Carolina was poised to have a pretty good year. I, I think they've got a very different attack than they did a year ago. I think Charlotte was going to be better this year. Um, Rebels, too, are always really good. Um, despite their youth and inexperience, they, they buy into that system so well. I mean, yeah, I, th- I thought the East was going to be a similar cluster to last year. One last question I have on the East, and I haven't shared this on a podcast with anyone that I talk to, and I just could be, this is coming from an MLS and USL standpoint. Do you feel like, and because I personally do, the Red Bulls kind of reign of just always being there between USL and MLS is kind of dying off a little bit. I just don't feel like that in recent years they've had the talent influx that have allowed them to be successful at the USL level and then once they've been successful at the USL level jump up to the MLS level like Brian White, Tom Barlow fantastic players but I just feel like these guys, one aren't staying with the Red Bulls, if you look at like Jordan Scarlett, um, Evan Loro who both left for Tampa Bay, but then like they're just not doing it at the MLS level too and I'm a little concerned about, about the Red Bulls on both levels my first thought on that is we didn't I think back to the 2016 final and my biggest regret about that game and they blew out SKC too in that game um I didn't recognize how good Aaron Long was I did not recognize how good Tyler Adams was Mm. and I don't think there was a giant groundswell of people going this converted outside back from Portland and Seattle is going to be a guy who's going to captain the national team in three years. And there's Aaron Long. True. Uh, Tyler Adams was a 15, 16 year old academy product in the years leading up to that. And here he is now playing in Bundesliga. So it's not to, not to say that, you know, they're going to be able to create those at the snap of a finger, but you know, did, did the core of that MLS side that won the supporter shield multiple times, Sasha Kleschen, Dax McCarty, Bradley Wright Phillips, uh, you know, like, did that group move on? Yeah. And that sort of leads to some questions for sure. But, you know, like I look at Tim Parker, I look at Aaron Long, I look at, you know, Daniel Royer and, you know, Mark Shakovsky. And like, I, I think they still have a pretty strong stable in there. So I'm not exactly ready to call anything dead yet. And even for Red Bull 2, I just think the biggest thing is you don't know as much as they do. And that's not a shot at you. I mean, I don't either about the the level of talent. And, and they keep producing it, so you almost expect it to grow again. But it, it seems like, you know, they keep getting these 14, 15, 16, 17-year-olds sprouting out of New Jersey and New York and going, okay, this is the next generation and they train them really well. And you're like, okay, all of a sudden we're talking about maybe the most, you know, Mike Pecky told me, I think it was 2016. He goes, we have the best Academy in MLS. Just you wait. I'm like, Oh, okay. <laughs> and, and out pops these guys. And you're like, right. Okay. Um, so yeah, I, I think it's, it's an interesting thought because certainly the star power is not quite what it once was, but I don't think that's what they want. And I, I think that I expect them to keep churning. And I, one day I will be wrong. But for now, I, I still believe. I don't completely disagree with you on the Red Bull thing. Maybe I'm also looking at it as like, oh, they need the next class of 
Aaron Long, Tyler Adams, Derek Etienne Jr. Like these guys are also like super talented and you're not going to see those maybe for like another 10 years. So maybe I'm also comparing it to that, but whatever. Um, I people tell me all the time that I have a little bit of an East Coast bias and that's just probably because I recognize a lot of teams on the East Coast, but the West did some things this offseason too in the USL. Obviously, Phoenix like lost some parts, but just got better. Santi Moore, I mean, bringing him in, like you just make an, an unbelievable attack that much better. <laughs> I thought the sneaky move from them was getting Darnell King. I really like that move, bringing him back. Um, and then people are also going nuts for San Diego's first roster. And I think Landon Donovan did a pretty good job of constructing, um, you know, his first roster on, in a USL schedule. But my biggest team that I feel like maybe people definitely paid attention to them, but I feel like didn't get as much love as they should have was San Antonio with the talent that they had last year. And then adding, you know, guys like Callum Montgomery, um, on loan, he was either he's either on loan from Dallas or North Texas, whatever that is. But bringing him in, um, PC Gyro, bringing him down from Major League Soccer, getting Luis Solignac from I mean, he was over in Europe, but had a pretty good stretch of games in Major League Soccer. Now bringing in him Chicago, to Chicago, yeah, uh, level. I really love San Antonio this season, like, and I feel like that's not a hundred percent agreed upon. But what do you think about the West? Yeah, for one, I've always had a soft spot for San Antonio. <laughs> you know, my first year in the league was when they had, um, you know, Defender of the Year um, and Sebastian Ibiaga. And, and, you know, like they were really rolling that year. Um, great goalkeeping, great defense. It, it, it Like it, it was there. Um, so naturally, I, I think, you know, while I like Darren Powell a lot, um, I'm I'm not shocked. Eventually, it is a results-driven business. Even though I think the fruits of his labor from the academy level are going to be seen for a lot of years to come. So San Antonio, I, I like in part because you know I, I think it was a good time for for them to sort of turn that leaf over. I think they spend appropriately. The young players they have combined with with the players you've already mentioned coming in with experience in first division and, and elsewhere, like, okay, I think they're legit. I think New Mexico, even though they lost Santi Moar, is going to be fine. Phoenix looks as good as advertised. I, I still want to see, you know, Adam John bagged a lot of those goals that were just, you know, someone's got to someone's gotta have the grit to go get them. Yeah, he scored a couple monster goals, but I mean, a lot of them, you know, it's he has a nose for it and it's probably cliche, but it's also accurate um, in his case. I agree with you on San Diego. Um, I don't know that they have an identity because I think when they brought players in, their thought was, let's bring in the most talented group we can and then decide once they get here what fits us best. Let's let's be willing to adapt to what we have, and I'm not sure they had entirely turned that corner yet. Mm. Um, you know, I, I thought Las Vegas went in with a good game plan uh, to San Diego, and it was two great goals, and then they locked it down. So uh, that that's interesting. I think you know Las Vegas is underrated. Sacramento, I every year I look at their roster and go, they could win the West, they could win the league. And I think Mark Briggs is a tremendous coach. I think he is a phenomenal coach. So I, I fully expect them to be with a top tier franchise. It's like if if you know you come into Liverpool or Manchester United, and and obviously we're talking in USL terms, they are one of the distinct franchises of the last six years the expectations are going to be massive and you still have to have that normal coalescing of a team, but the team they have is really good. And Mark Briggs, I think is a really good coach. So, you know, I expect them to be there at the end. Monarchs are legit. El Paso. I think another year is good for them. Orange County is in my opinion, along with Louisville and a few others, one of the teams that, I think plays beautiful soccer, uh, understands the importance of developing a pipeline to their professional team through the academy, uh, has you know now their own facility, and I think I think Orange County is turning a corner too. I'm really excited for them. 
There's so many fantastic storylines in, in USL that, like, you know, once you start paying attention to it, it's kind of like, holy shit. Like, you know, <laughs> like, like, like you said, like, the like even just what you were saying, like, the Monarchs, they stand out to me of being, like, they're reloaded. They're back. They definitely need to get some guys going down from RSL. Uh, David Ochoa is still going to be wagging his finger in people's faces, and I'm <laughs> He's, um, he's legit. He's, so <laughs> he's really, really good. Dude, I, I spoke with their staff in Louisville after the final, and look, they're like, we didn't spend the most in the league. And yeah, they've got the benefit of an MLS team, but like Douglas Martinez went to New York. He didn't do much of anything. Yeah. And he went back and he comes to Monarchs and he's scoring a goal or an assist every like 100 minutes or less. It's insane. It's so... You know, you look at the Casa Grande Academy and you look at what they've done in, in Real uh, Salt Lake's, you know, homegrown territory, building up players, plus their willingness to draft and, and, and develop players out of the super draft. And, you know, you get guys like Luke Mulholland was huge on that team. Mm. Combine them with guys like Ochoa and, you know, a cast off and Noah Powder from New York. Like they mm. turn him into a guy who you know, still a bit of a gamble most days, but like has that presence to make a huge difference. It's all there, man. I like, they're another organization that I think gets it. They really, really get it. Yeah. I mean, look, and I think it like, I mean, and then you go into like two teams in USL, right. And like, you have the New York Red Bulls, too, and the Real Monarchs who just do it right. And like you said, they get it, but then you have some others that don't really get it, but I'm not even going to get into all of that. I'm not, I'm not taking too much of your time up with that, but it's just USL is very, it's in a very exciting time in USL and I'm happy to kind of be focusing my attention on it with this podcast and getting more deeper and deeper into it. And Mike, I mean, I'm happy to have you on and talk to you about USL. Oh, it's that, that this has been a great conversation. I just have one last question for you. How have you been passing the time in quarantine? <laughs> Uh, dude, this has been the weirdest time of my career. Cause even when I left college before I was doing games consistently, I was working full time for the NHL 40 hours a week as an archivist. So like I was still working during the week and right now with no sports, I mean, you know, if, if we're out till July 1st and I, I think that's probably reasonable that we don't play games until mid-June start of July I mean that's like 80 games that I didn't get to call you know men's Olympic qualifying uh you know we're, we're talking about the Nations League semis and and final uh for the men's national team um <laughs> USL NWSL uh you know the Big East tournament at the Garden the NIT you know, like I look at my schedule and I'm not disappointed, you know, in the grander scheme. I mean, ever, this is such a tremendously just it, it's such an overpowering tragedy that this yeah. entire scenario. But, you know, I, I think about the game winning goals I would have been around and like at times it's. It's depressing. I mean, once in a while, like Devin Curl tweet like, oh, yeah, like tonight we should add this game. I'm like, son of a <laughs> uh, <laughs> you're killing me, dude. You're killing me. Um, yeah, I mean, we had E-Cup for a while, Rocket League, and now they're doing the FIFA E-Cup, which I'm not going to take part in uh, from the league perspective. And catching up on podcasts that I should have been listening to or being guests on. So here we are. And um, it, for me, it's it's meet new people and try and this is the first real break I've had. I haven't had two, three weeks off in a row since I was, you know, early, you know, like high school, sophomore summer before I started washing dishes at Bob Evans. So, <laughs> um, I'm, I'm trying to just keep a level head and, and you know, the, the one thing, anyone who's bothered to listen this long, God bless you. But, um, <laughs> that's a statement about me, not about you. Hey, wash your hands. About myself constantly too. Don't yeah. Worry. Right. Uh, wash your hands, be safe, stay inside, you know, don't, don't be, uh, you know, don't let your ego get the best of you. I, I, I want to get back to work. I want to watch sports. I want to call sports. My fiance is tired of having me around. So just like for her, for her sake, <laughs> please, please, you know, be considerate and, and be smart. And I, I, 
I desperately want to get back, man. I desperately want to be calling games again. I mean, 100%, I agree with everything you just said. But, I mean, also for you, I think taking some time might be a good thing. Resting that voice might be a good thing because, you know, come <laughs> fall, you're going to be calling a bunch of Joe Burrow touchdown passes. And <laughs> it's going to be a fall for you. I, I told um, – I don't think I've ever mentioned this publicly, but uh, I at the end of the Big East tournament last year, my voice was so fatigued. I didn't really feel like I had my voice back probably until October. You know, you think about mid-March to, to you know, the back end of the USL season. That's a long time to just feel like you can't throw a fastball. Um, so to a certain extent, after doing hundreds of games a year for the last three years, I, I don't want to be out of work. I, anyone in our business, I, I genuinely sympathize anyone in a grander scheme. I'm healthy and, and my family is healthy. And so we're grateful for that. But, um, you know, from a purely selfish, you know, yeah, let your voice rest. Like this is the first time, you know, in five years where I've had an extended chance to drink a lot of tea and sit back and, you know, watch documentaries. So <laughs> that's okay. Take that time. Take that time. Like <laughs> do the stereotypical podcaster thing. Where can the people listen to you? Uh, <laughs> uh, all over the place. Um, uh, my Twitter is at Mike Watts on air. Uh, same with my Instagram. I think, uh, not, it's not really good. sure that I, I totally, uh, <laughs> Uh, post a lot of good stuff there, but there you go. Um, you know, obviously USL on ESPN plus and ESPN linear networks and, uh, ESPN, uh, in the fall covering college soccer. So, you know, for most of the year, if you flip on your TV, there's like a one in 10 chance you'll catch me. Hey, and definitely check out Mike, Mike, thank you for coming on and talking a little USL, a little soccer and a little broadcasting with me today. Appreciate it, man. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it.